As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the spoiler episode of Sift Pop. Sift Pop spoilers. 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 I felt like we were on totally different keys there. Oh, there was a key. I mean, we're like diddly doodling, so it doesn't matter. I didn't even know there was a key. So if you listen to the show proper, and we hope that you did, you'll know that today's episode is a little bit different because we are missing our geek. Today, it's just the critic and the girl. And we're going to talk in the heart of the sea, and we're going to go to the heart of some spoilers. You know, in this movie, I actually didn't know that the spoilers made a huge difference in how I felt about this movie. No, I don't either. I think it's just basically going to be more specifics about the storyline. So in this movie, we're kind of introduced to the idea of Moby Dick and the storylines that we're familiar with through the eyes of the author who is showing up late at night at an inn um, after they've already closed. He holds up a letter to the window and the woman that was on the inside said, who had just said, you know, no, we're not taking anybody past Mm -hmm. a certain time. Oh, you've come. You've got our letters. So we're like, oh, who is this person? And he comes in and sort of uh, goes in to meet a man who is, I don't know, I think he's assembling like little small ships and bottles. (laughs) And he's making, you know, ships in a bottle. A really fascinating room. Mm -hmm. I mean, a fascinating room i was immediately intrigued like who is this person Mm -hmm. who is this guy that showed up you know who is this woman and through the first couple scenes we kind of get an idea of what we're in for yeah and then this kind of goes back and forth to the telling of his story so his story becomes the majority of the plot that's going on so he was a boy on a ship uh the essex that was a whaling ship that was captained uh by a man who was from you know, a great seafaring family, but didn't have a lot of experience. And then the first mate on the ship was Chris Hemsworth character, character, uh, and he had a lot of sea experience and was told he could be captain, but because of politics and he doesn't come from a family like that, he is still first mate and has to be subservient to this captain. So a lot of the dynamic of the movie is kind of them butting heads and trying to figure that out. Yeah, when this guy says, well, the story of the Essex really starts with two men, that's mm-hmm. sort of what he says. Yeah. It's these it's these two men, the captain and the first mate. But he was one of the kids, 14 or so. Yeah, he was the youngest on the boat. That decided to go out and kind of become a man at sea. And he's the last surviving person that uh, the author can find. What's the author's name? Uh, Herman Wh- Melville. Melville. Mm-hmm. Um, that Melville can find to potentially tell the true story of what happened in Essex. Not what the books say, because there's an official report that was filed that nobody believes. Which, how ironic is it that Melville ended up telling a false story? Like, he but he tells the false fiction. story, <laughs> in, at least in the movie depiction. I'm telling you my story so you can get the truth out there. Okay, I'll write a fiction piece on it. 
Well, he did the fiction piece so that he could leave out some of the details that... Which he wanted him to leave out, which was a, a big part of the film, was kind of him dealing with those demons that he so, had So, yeah, let's get time. into that. So, so the... Um, the young, what's what's the character's name oh, that's I don't, telling the story? Oh, I don't remember. Can we find out? Because I don't want to call him, you know, the kid. Well, you can you can uh, you can call him Brendan Gleeson if you want. That's the actor's name. Okay, Brendan Gleeson. Mm-hmm. Um, he has never told a living soul what happened on the Essex, and his wife pleads with Melville to stay and try to talk to him because Melville offers money and it's declined. You know, she says he needs to have, have absolution. Like he, it's a counseling session. He needs to tell the truth Mm -hmm. to be able to like free his soul from being tormented. Mm -hmm. And so this is the first time that Brendan Gleason, (laughs) there you go. Yes. That, that character has ever talked about it. And so we're kind of cutting from being at this table where, Brendan is telling Melville, you know, the story yeah. into seeing the story come to life before us. So and that's let, kind of the premise of how this movie rolls out. Let's take it in two parts. Let's start with where we are already with Herman Melville and Brendan Gleeson's character and his wife, the three of them. Let's kind of see where that goes. Because in the in the midst of this story, that is his uh, story arc is that he has to get out that the truth, the truth, which and here's the spoiler is that they, they, had, to eat they had to be cannibals mm-hmm. to survive. And when somebody would die. Uh, they had to survive on eating the people who died. And, you know, he feels because that's an abomination and mm-hmm. whatever that he but can't tell anybody that. And, or even be loved by his wife. Or, or be loved. And so that part of the story is, you know, him coming to that. And there's this moment. And I'll just go with, go here now because it's one of the things I actually didn't like about the movie and goes to some of my thoughts on how the acting was a little wooden and just a little forced. He reveals this moment and tells Herman Melville, you can't tell anybody, not even my wife. Oh, 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 oh. And, and says, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, obviously. No, he, he says, I've never told anyone, and if my wife knew, she wouldn't love me. Like, who right. would love someone who did this? And because then, Melville realizes he's never told anybody, and he's like, why would I ever tell anyone? People would judge me, and my wife right. wouldn't love me. And she steps out of the shadows at that moment and says, yes, I would. Those kind of things, those things happen throughout the movie where it's just like, okay, that's a little much. Like, I, I get the emotion you're going for, but... You know, it it just felt a little soap opera y. I think in the those reason times. it felt that way is because we haven't spent a lot of time with these characters, yeah. and it, the love of the the different people who have like a love because uh, um, Chris Hemingsworth, his character, Chris Hemsworth, Hemsworth, mm-hmm. no, yep, Chris Hemsworth, Thor. Okay, just making sure. Um, <laughs> just call him Thor. Chris is sorry. Just, he, Thor is he the probably first mate hates on this ship. That. He probably hates that so much. But yeah, Chris, he gets Thor about it. Really, Aaron. <laughs> Sorry. So Chris's uh, character, you know, he has a wife who's pregnant, and when you know, so they, they've got that love feeling too. And because we don't spend a lot of time with them, there's not a lot of depth felt. That's a great point. That, way too, that, is, so. that is exactly Maybe true. That's part of what because you're the feeling. big moment at the end of the movie, we're already there. Is he, you know, he does survive. He comes back and he sees his wife and his child, who is now probably three or four years old, and doesn't feel like anything. It doesn't feel like anything because you haven't been with them long enough to really get their relationship in a way that's powerful. If there was a relationship that we felt the longevity and love with, and maybe you'll agree with me, I I think you might. It's Chris's relationship with Brendan Gleeson's younger character from the 14-year-old boy from the... Because at the end, when they return home after this horrible voyage and, you know, almost dying, uh, the little 14-year-old boy runs up to first mate and says, you know, I was proud to work underneath you know with you and 
I mean, their acting doesn't bring it home, but I, I didn't technically feel a lot. But, <laughs> you know, they had spent the most time together and they had survived together. No, I got that. And you would. But you're right. Like, I just didn't feel a lot. Anyway, I, like, I got that. No, I that was that was OK. The one that actually worked for me the most. Well, there were two that that, that worked. One, I felt like the relationship. And again, I think this is because of the guy that played Paddock. The relationship between him, the and the, captain, the him and the captain worked for me. I thought that butting head stuff was was really good. And the way that, you know, like when they got to the storm. So let's go there. So they're on this boat and no, don't want to go there yet. Well, I thought you wanted to finish up with the other characters and then go into the story. So I, I like their relationship. There's this moment in the storm where he's like the captain and he's just like putting his foot down and being authority. And Thor knows that that's not the way to go. I mean, he is the god of storms. He should know. Uh, he knows that's not the right thing to do, but he has to obey the captain and deal with the consequences. And then the fallout from that, where the captain is kind of blaming him mm -hmm. for what happened. And so, like, you can just, there's a real tension underneath of, th that captain knows that this first mate is better than him. Right. He knows it, and he oh, does right. not want to admit it. And I thought and that stuff that, worked really, yeah, really well. you're right. That, those two, that relationship between the two of them probably did play the best. And then the other one was him and his friend. Um, that he'd been a long time friend with since they were kids. Uh, uh, seems like it was Joy, maybe, or started with a J. He was Scarecrow or... in Batman. <laughs> yes, he was. So Thor and, and Scarecrow, <laughs> great friends on the ship. And I thought their relationship worked. I thought the scene where he had to leave him behind was really powerful. So those were the two relationships that worked, yeah, for me. Okay, so let's move into the kind of the story of the ship uh, and kind of how that and the whale, where that all comes in. Because that's a pretty big part of this movie, that whale thing. Yeah. So we go out into sea with these characters and they are whaling, trying to find whale oil. Seems like pretty typical stuff. They come on a pond of whales. You learn how a whale hunt's done. I, I love the education of that, uh, where you kind of saw how that works, uh, how they had to tie another line off. I thought was really brilliant, you know, kind of that creative ingenuity to, you know, finish the job, those kind of things. We're talking about people going out onto the sea in the mid to late 1800s. So... There's no technology. It is just your experience is what keeps you alive. And mm -hmm. in that scene, what I recognized is you've got these uh, these containers where all of this rope has coiled very perfectly into the container. And so they can identify how long it is, too. And that's what I was so going to say is that as so they, they would spear a whale and the whale would dive down and somebody would be calling to say how much rope remained on the line. So that means they've they they are very equipped with knowing you know exactly how much rope is in there and exactly how much time they have and that comes from experience and that to me that was really an interesting like i, I think my favorite part of this movie was what i learned yeah about the that time is really period cool. i don't i didn't really you know the characters didn't you know kind of make it through there was no real theme that kind of spoke to me as a person or i didn't really learn anything about myself as an individual it was more educational about what it took for society and community to have sustainable fire and light through whale oil and so this was how they did it so that they do go out to sea they do find a pod and and they bring one whale in and we get to see how they chop it up how they retrieve the oil from the whale that was very realistic somebody goes inside the whale carcass to get yeah. the remainder of the oil the skinniest one happening to be this 14 year old kid mm -hmm. that's telling the story later on how thick is that whale hide 
I mean, it was just like I know, and I think that was I. I'm assuming they that was they real. Did that research. They did research on it. And I'm I mean, I was sure. Just like, wow. They probably talked to people. They probably read accounts about how it was done. You know, and they 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 had the whale in in parts. That was just the whale head mm-hmm. that they had um in that moment, and they had like carved out the blowhole, and the kid just drops down in, and it was inside of its head, pulling out oil and buckets of oil. I mean, it was crazy. And then uh, hanging off of the boat is the rest of it as they're trying to chop it up, and you know put the oil into barrels because they're trying to fill up their ship with all these barrels of this gold, this liquid so gold. So they can go home. Once they, they get a certain number of barrels, they can get, go home. get wealthy. And they have like sharks that are like hanging off the side of the boat, attacking the carcass. And, you know, it was I re- really that. intense. There were sharks that were attacking the whale carcass? Yeah. I totally missed that. How did I miss that? I don't know. Because I thought the only sharks were at the beginning because I was worried about sharks for you. Thank you. Because how much you hate sharks. Yes. And we see some at the beginning when we're underwater and I was right. like, oh man, I hope it's not that movie. Right, Like I hope right. every time somebody falls in the water, there isn't a you know, circle know, of sharks. I know, I know. And there wasn't. No. There Thank wasn't. you, Lord. But I didn't realize there even was that, that mm-hmm. the sharks were chewing on the whale carcass. Yeah. And huh. that, that to me speaks to the movie that they weren't trying to really draw our attention to certain things too too closely in some yeah. ways but um after that first thing things are going really really wrong this is when we get to see the captain uh who has a lot of bravado and is told by his family before he leaves to not be anyone's friend you know this is just so so his his energy is just that hard captain um who like you said, Aaron knows that his first mate has more experience than he ever could and can command the ship probably better and has more. Oh, no, probably about it. You know, he, yeah. and he knows even that. with the men. Yeah. But he, t- he the takes respect them, of the men better. He everything. takes them into a storm on purpose and it just completely messes up the ship. Now they do kind of get it going again, but it's delayed them. And now they don't have the whales. Um, they have, they have to kind of, go uh, aboard land at one point in time uh, where they see they meet another captain who describes that on the equator like 2,000 leagues out in the middle of nowhere there's all these whales including one really big one the demon the demon and so uh, because they really want to go home with oil they do the stupid thing and they go out into the (laughs) middle of nowhere uncharted uncharted territory Mm -hmm. and they uh, find this massive pod they go out to start to do their thing and everything goes awry when a gigantic whale decides to basically just wreak havoc and defend the pod. I, you know, the way this movie portrayed the intelligence of this giant whale was a little much for me as well. Like the like the trailing them and then finding the exact right moments to, you know, like headbutt their ships and like he's some sort of, you know, like planning this and i don't know i think it gave him like sort of mastermind qualities that Mm -hmm. i would have rather it relied on the the natural instinctual qualities of the animal rather than kind of humanizing it in that way i didn't feel like it was human i felt like it was just a superior species to its other will and brethren and sistren so they go out to this and there are there are tons of whales out there and this giant whale then protects these tons of of whales by absolutely destroying their ship sets it on fire the major ship yeah the, the big, big ship. ship and so they have these three tiny ships then that they escape on and then it's you know survival then, then it's survival it's drift at sea type survival stuff they do land on an island at one point in time uh which seems very barren and there's a couple of uh you know eggs and then there's a little bit of fishing that they can do um the uh second or first mate which is chris's character 
comes across a um, cave and there are skeleton skeletal remains there. And he brings the crew in and says, even though we just got off of the water, no one's going to come rescue us here. And the birds are not going to come back if we keep eating their eggs. Like we're going to die here. So they decide to leave again. And so it was on their second voyage out that cannibalism came into play. And it was really, that scene was very, uh, I, I thought they did a pretty good job of, in that scene where somebody dies in the boat uh, of just natural causes. And as they're going to put him overboard, uh, Chris says to the crew, you know, what God has given to us as supply, let's not just throw it, let's not just throw it to waste. Mm-hmm. And this is when in the movie settles in the realization settles in for all of them what he means. Even the fourteen year old boy Mm -hmm. who's just like, and he starts to cry even just thinking about what is about Mm -hmm. to be done. And this is when in the movie it cuts back to the scene at the tavern, you know, with the fourteen year old boy as a grown man, his wife, and the author who are talking. And I I think that was a good moment to kind of pull out because it was getting intense. But at the same time, it kind of killed the moment. It, It killed an intensity. That kind of kept happening throughout the film, and I sure. wonder if there was a way to have done that differently. But um, what I liked about what they did is that they allowed the the full grown man, the fourteen year old boy, as a man, um, to describe what happened instead of seeing Rather what than happened. Showing it. Yeah, yeah, that and was I very they intentional. Did, I yeah. think they couldn't have done that without. Yeah, it would have been way, ex- Yeah, yeah, it would have been way too much. I mean, it was expl- It was described in detail. Mm-hmm. You know what they did and and why well, and they did the, and how well, they did. And then on the other boat, because the boats get separated. There's uh, three there, boats. There's yeah, three they them. drift up. And this is what you're talking about in the first one, right? Yeah, it was confusing. hard to follow which yeah. boat was getting rescued, which you know who was who, and well, they're all like growing. Yeah, so hair. none of them look like they used to look, and 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 when they say where did Pollock go, like they were all drift and they just drifted apart, and then they then they they drift back together at one point in time. And they see each other at sea one last time. And then when they drift apart again, Pollock's boat is rescued by another boat, and Chris's boat is uh, rescued by other boats a little bit later on. Like like something it just like got a little confusing. Eighty some days at sea or yeah. something. It was crazy. The but if you go to the other boat, they are also eating people, but they drew straws to kill somebody to eat. Yes, uh, because they knew if one of them didn't, you know, die and sacrifice his body for the others, that they were all going to die, and so that. That was even my, more blind, mind-blowing to me than the natural death cannibalism was yeah. the idea to be out at sea and agree as a foursome to, to have one of one us person. is going to have to commit suicide so that the uh, or be dead. Because it wasn't a, originally supposed to be a suicide. It ends up being a suicide because the person who was supposed to kill the person who drew the short straw decides to take his own life. Yeah, the, the captain was the one that, that drew the short straw and he was like, no, this is, the, this is what we're doing. Um, you know, And then he hands the gun to his cousin who was supposed to shoot him and his cousin instead decides to kill himself and that 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 was like i can't imagine that was the the ultimate in this movie i think for me of not being able to put myself in a position you know like that so this is the reality of the essex story that uh when they get back when they're rescued um they are taken before the kind of i guess it would be tribunal yeah the people who kind of manage this entire fleet and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff and um, Pollock has told the truth, and Chris has told the truth. Um, I wish I could remember his name. I should just look it up on IMDb, but I'm too lazy. Um, <laughs> they 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 tell what really happened: that they were attacked by a white whale, and that they had to survive off of cannibalism. And 
it's decided by the leadership that that can never be spoken. Um, Because they'll lose their investors and they'll lose, yeah. It's just too dangerous. So they ask them to lie. Chris refuses and he leaves. And Pollock goes before them the next day or so. This is his redemption story. When he is supposed and he's given an opportunity to lie and, and retain all of his stature. And he also tells the truth, which is why it's believable that after all this time has passed, that there's rumor about this whale and there's rumor about what really happened at sea. But officially the documents that they filed was that right. it ran aground. They <laughs> there said are enough the people Essex, who knew the truth. Right. The Essex ran aground was what was just kind of written down as to why it was destroyed and why the men were adrift at sea and that the they were those who passed away, those who died, died at sea yeah. from, you know, drown from drowning. So um, here there's not really a lot left to do except for to tell the audience, you know, <laughs> roll credits and then have, and Chris went home with his family. You know, like, <laughs> right, yeah, so yeah. basically at this point we know the, the quote unquote true story. And the captain for the white whale but never found it. And yeah, it yeah. Up. We kind of have that wrap up of these characters. You know, that Pollard went out to sea again to find the white whale, didn't find the white whale and never, you know, did again. Okay, so the one thing we missed that we didn't talk about that uh, that I, I want to talk about is the the way the white whale followed them. I don't remember if it was before they went um shipwrecked to land he he shipwrecks their little boats and they go to land is that where they find that island the first time yeah the white whale does that and then there's a second time after that right yeah he when hunts them together. the whole time he hunts them the whole time and where they've got a spear ready to spear him and i couldn't remember which time that was that was the last time the last time it was when the boats had drifted apart and then back together and right. it was that the last time that they would see each other at sea adrift. And he, the whale floats up and basically just presents his head to the spear because he wants to have an, an eye-to-eye, face-to-face moment with this first mate. And they lovingly stare into each other's eyes <laughs> and decide that they respect each other too much to war anymore. And so he puts the spear away and the whale goes home. And I'm just like, is that what the movie's about? Like, did you think that was kind of the central, like, that it's about um, that whaling is bad? Like, or that that it was, that it had gone too far? Or, like, what, was, was, what were they trying to say I in that moment? I think it was something about it going too far. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of suspended my belief about, you know, whether or not a whale would hunt someone down. Because we're talking about... Mm-hmm. leagues and leagues of of yeah, of craziness a spans of time and like you said they he wrecked their little little boats and that's why they went on to this island because they had been mm-hmm. you know fallen over they had to repair their boats before they went back out to sea and then yeah at the very very end just before they're rescued he appears as if to have a conversation with them and yeah he decides it's like he decides I'm not going to ram their boats this time I think I think I want to I want I to have a moment. My interpretation was that the whale was going to attack them again if they speared him, but Chris didn't spear him, and so the whale went away. That mm-hmm. was that was my interpretation. Sure, sure, that could be absolutely. It was just it was it, for me it was the key moment of the movie where I just went really. Well, there had been a moment between the captain and the first mate before the captain was talking about how we're gods on this earth and mm-hmm. you know we're meant to rule right, it that theme and is we there. can and we can own it. We can do whatever we want to. We make the rules here on this planet. We were given this planet so that we could explore it. He has this whole kind of like pompous mm-hmm. sort of rant, and I think Chris at that moment was kind of thinking like, yeah, maybe you know maybe that's not exactly how I want to be, and this was his moment where. 
first of all, they had been adrift for so long. They had like they had nothing on their bones. Like, I don't even know where he mustered up the energy to stand up and hold a spear over his head. At that point, they were so depleted. Right. So it's like there was no chance of Chris killing this thing. He may have blinded it, like taken out an eyeball, but there's no way. And certainly no chance of getting the whale oil for no, any it would kind have of use just or anything. been murder for murder's sake and i think that's what he maybe realized in that moment but because there was no external dialogue that he had with any character on the ship or with the camera or whatever like we didn't know his meant we're mm-hmm. left to assume which i think is why it doesn't work yeah you yeah, know because it just feels like crazy like really the whale followed him you know and i get what you're saying i think it was supposed to be a beautiful moment though and it'd be one thing even if the whale just kind of swam around and he decided not to spear him and the whale swam off or whatever but to have it just like nestle right up to the boat turn over just so its eye could be out and just like gaze like they were just like gazing at each other it just seemed really silly well first he came and he came at the boats like he was going to ram the boats and then he went through the middle of them and then he went and out and he was like rolling in the water and then he came back by i feel like he was saying like taunting like are you going to do it are you going to try to take me out are you are you and then when it didn't happen i think that's when he flipped over and showed his his you know his eye and mm-hmm. whatever yeah you know the, it, it was i just um, didn't buy that moment i didn't i that that was the moment that took me out of the movie the most i think was the the what if it's real <laughs> uh, that's a serious question i'm asking a serious question serious question what if that then i really, take it all back no, but i what, take it all back. what if that really did happen then i take it all back i don't i don't see how it's possible that that really happened but if it did yeah absolutely if if i was there and i saw it and i'm like well i'll be i mean whale oil be oh my goodness oh my goodness that just happened so then fast forwarding kind of back towards the end to just to wrap it up, we see kind of what happens. This, you know, the 14 year old boy grows up to be this man who is now telling the story to Melville. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris ends now up released becoming... of his demons because he was able to tell somebody. Chris. His wife uh, loves him anyway. Uh, yeah. Chris's character becomes a merchant sailor. So he doesn't go on a, he doesn't become a, you know, whatever they would call the, or not a merchant, a merchant captain. Mm-hmm. And so he's happy. Yep. Um, Pollard disappears after he goes out to sea again mm-hmm. and fails finding the white whale. Mm-hmm. I think he just comes back and is pretty defeated. Yep. So that was kind of a weird thing. But we're supposed to have like one kind of final emotional moment, right? With the writer, right? With the writer yeah. who who's like, you know, he wants to do a good job. I'll he never wants, be as good as Hawthorne. He wants to tell the story as best he possibly can to to honor him and so he says he's going to write a work of fiction so that he can keep out yeah. these details so he's going to base it on a true story and so we're kind of led to believe that Moby Dick as we know it also w- just these details were left out of it yeah like the the more serious kind of stuff that happened so final question have you ever read Moby Dick no okay but we forgot to say that um Chris's best friend dies that's true yeah he leaves him on the island that's the moment that he I thought has worked his- when the whale attacks before they're swept up onto shore, he gets a head wound. It doesn't really clear up. Yeah, those those can get nasty. Can I tell you though, when like when they're saying goodbye to each other, does it look like his neck was like broken? No, I don't think like, so. Like he was like, it was just. I was, think he was malnourished. Was yeah, it was, yeah, it was serious. So that was kind of sad too. Yep, and uh, and he did send somebody. He back did to send that somebody island. back to get the other guys. Yeah, and they were still alive. Actually, mm-hmm. not the not his friend. His, his friend, friend passed died, away, but yeah. the other guys were still alive. So. 
Yeah, I, like I said, like we said in the podcast, I think there's stuff to like here, but it's, you know, it's just not, it's not a transcendent movie. It's not like a movie come away from, you know, going, oh, that was amazing. But there's some stuff that's interesting and educational and uh, certainly fascinating. So I would, you know, I think there's, there's good stuff there. There's some people I'd recommend it, this movie to, like anyone who's like a history buff, I think they would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just history buffs. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> if you're looking for good whale effects. <laughs> <laughs> Those work really well. Wow. We'll catch you next week with uh, with a, a little movie called uh, Star Wars. No worries. Are we going to spoil Star Wars? Of course we're going to spoil Star Wars. Can I tell you, I still haven't been spoiled about Star Wars. I haven't watched anything. No, me either. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. So tune in next week. We are going to be uh, doing the Star of the Wars. We are going to um, brave the Star of the Wars. Mm-hmm. We're going to go watch The Force Wake Up. Because The Force Awakens is the name of the movie. Oh, mm-hmm. that's funny. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody put water on the Force's face while I was sleeping. Oh, no, it's awake. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 